1: Episode of the call up today as we get to talk about basically the minor league all-star game as we have the futures game futures roster and Jack it's just like the MLB all-star game because there's some players that you know maybe might have got the nod because they're very notable and famous uh, and then others that you know may have gotten snubbed but overall extremely talented rosters on both sides and we're going to give you a primer. Of kind of what you can expect and what you should look for uh, from both rosters and really excited to get into it
2: yeah and what we won't see in the futures game is a guy with a 600 ops competing in the home run derby so (laughs) i i I don't think that we draw the line as far off as the major league all-star game but you know what the futures game these are a lot of guys that were on just baseball's top 100 coming into the year there are a lot of the biggest risers in just baseball's midseason update which is coming in the next couple of weeks um i i mean i'm telling you man as as a minor league nut like i am and and i know that you are i'm as excited to watch this seven inning game as i am the nine inning major league all-star game
1: you know it's it's funny because we we covered the all-star game last year and uh you know peter apple and colby and olsen two of our guys will be out there this year, uh, unfortunately, I'll be at the National instead. I'm excited to go to the National Card Convention. It's going to be very fun. Uh, yeah. But, you know, just crazy to go coast to coast in a couple of days. So we're splitting up here. But when I was at the Futures game last year and, you know, we went to the Derby and then we were deciding, do we want to go to the All-Star game and get bad seats or go to the Futures game and get, get really good seats and be up close and personal? And, and the Futures game was just so cool. I, I wish it was nine innings at seven. I, I think, yeah. you know, they're, they're doing that for, for a myriad of reasons. But just seeing all of those prospects in one spot, you know, we travel a lot. You and I did the, the trip through the South and saw a ton of top 100, a ton, ton of guys, several guys that we're going to talk about here. But – Seeing all of these guys in one spot is extremely, extremely awesome. And are you going to draw any major scouting conclusions? Probably not, but it is a really cool event, and it is really awesome to see all of these guys in person because you really don't get any other opportunity like that. You're usually hoping that you'll get a crossover of a top 100 guy against a top 100 guy, and if you're really lucky, you might get three in one game in a regular season. Here, almost all of them are top 100 guys, and everybody is a relevant prospect, and that's what's really cool about it
2: hundred percent. Like when we went to the South, we went to Biloxi and Montgomery playing in Biloxi, and we got to see Joey Weimer and Sal Freelich on Biloxi's side. And then we got to see Taj Bradley and Curtis Mead on Tampa's side. And those guys are both in the Futures game. Weimer and Freelich are not in the Futures game. And then we went out to Pensacola and we didn't see a, a single guy participating in this Futures game here. We thought yeah. we were going to see Michael Harris. Uh, he got called up the day before we got there. So, you know, it, it's one of those where, when you know that you're going to see one of these guys, you mark it on your calendar. Yep. For me, working in Indianapolis, every time Mike Burrows gets a start, I'm sitting here circling that Mike Burroughs day because that's the day that I, I am just looking forward to each time because you see the marquee prospect mm-hmm. here. And yeah, you could circle the guys that are stat leaders like Indians are in Columbus this week. I'm really excited to see Will Brennan. But you know what? Like John Kent, C. Noel and George Valera. They carry a little bit more than Will Brennan right now because they are futures game selections. This is as high an honor during the season as you could possibly
1: get the minor league level. A hundred percent. And there's a few nods <laughs> that we'll get to at some points where it's like it, it's kind of the, the classic all star game situation. At the end of the day, it's, you know, it's for the fans. But for the most part, I think th- they do a really good job with this futures game of of going through and picking the, the players that you know are the most deserving, but there is a process as Keith law pointed out. It's the way it really works is, is that teams kind of give a list of, of players that, that they want to be included in this game. Uh, and then it's kind of picked from there. So, so that can always, you know, alter the process a little bit. Uh, I'd imagine if Yuri Perez wasn't in the fold for the Marlins, they'd probably Keep slamming JJ Bledet, uh and keep trying to get him into the game. Like that's just kind of the way the way some of these teams are with right. propping up some of those prospects. But for the most part, that's not the case here. And let's jump into uh, you want to start American League or National League? You mentioned Mike, Burl, so we might as well start National.
2: You're calm, man. What do you have loaded into uh, loaded into Fangraphs to pop up on? Uh, on yeah, so so we're, we're,
1: we're experimenting a little bit for the folks on YouTube, and you know we have screenshotted write ups of of. Each of the prospects that we have write ups for already uh, in this futures game that we're going to kind of pop up on the screen, which is super cool. Uh, And, you know, we'll obviously make sure that this is broadcasted for radio as well for the podcast folks. But for those on YouTube, they've been asking for graphics. We're we're, we're working on it. But in the meantime, we're bootstrapping it with with our write ups kind of being inserted here. And uh, we'll start with the National League because. I want to talk about Andrew Abbott, and for those watching, uh, ignore the the number next to the name uh, because some of the write ups are are on guys that are not we're not top one hundred coming into the year. All of these write ups were preseason write ups, so it's kind of fun to see how things have changed. And we'll talk about you know some of the adjustments there. Andrew Abbott has a twelve next to his name because he was the twelfth ranked prospect in the Red System. We wrote that up after they made some trades. He was always yeah. a top ten guy for us. We were higher on him even having him in the top 10. And now this guy's pitching his way into being potentially a top 100 guy in the red Zorg. Uh, I love everything we've seen from Andrew Abbott and I'm going to throw his, uh, his little right up here. And this is a dude that out of UVA just always had that pitch ability, but, but put it, you know, took it to the next level in that final collegiate season was a golden spikes award semifinalist. And if you look at the scouting grades across the board, what really stood out to me, and I'd probably up some of these pitches a little bit, specifically the change-up, what stood out to me is Abbott just had four different ways that he can attack you. Fastball is above average. Slider is above average. Curveball flashes plus. Change-up closer to below fringe average, but now I think it's looking more like an average pitch, and then the command is above average. When you got four pitches, average or better, and above-average command, That's a good pitcher, and we've seen that translate. The question was, was he going to get whiffs against higher-level competition You know, when you don't have that one true plus pitch? And the answer is yes, because he has a feel to pitch. He knows how to mix up his arsenal, and he just has uh, that characteristic on the fastball that sets the baseline, and that's really important. High-induced vertical break fastball, which means a ton of ride to it, a ton of rise in that kind of action that you want on the fastball. That sets up his three other pitches really well. And his numbers this year before I kick it to you, because I know you love your lefties. (laughs) Uh, He has already climbed multiple levels this season. Started the year in high A, now up in double A. It's been a little bit more of a challenge there. Needs to trust his stuff a bit more. I think he's been extremely unlucky. I'd ignore the ERA. I'd look more at the fit there because you look start to start. He's been pretty good overall. But in 72 and two-thirds innings, 99 Ks and a 4.09 ERA, 24 walks uh, to go against that as well. Andrew Abbott's been spectacular this year. I expect the double-A numbers to normalize a bit as he's had a six ERA there. That's going to normalize. Three, six, five FIP, I think, is more indicative of what this guy's capable of. And I'm excited to see him throw in the Futures game, probably a guy that nobody expected to be a candidate in this Futures game.
2: Yeah, and it's hard to ignore the ERA and double. I, I know that you're saying, look at the FIP, but I mean the ERA's north of six. So yep. that's hard to ignore. But again, small sample, I, I think it's been 10 starts that have spanned 45 innings. So it's not like he's going deep into games right now either. And that is less of a byproduct of Andrew Abbott and more of a byproduct of the Reds not you know, extending him far because he has thrown well. He has filled the strike zone. Um, And, and yeah, you're right. He has been a little bit unlucky. But again, a 6-1 ERA is a 6-1 ERA. But Abbott, I love, and I love the pitchability college lefty, the high floor. If you look back at last year, you see the strikeout leaders in college baseball. Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker were tied for the national lead with 179 punchouts. Right after that was Andrew Abbott. He yeah. was third in America behind Leiter and Rocker, and we know how praised Leiter and Rocker are. And we're going to get to Leiter a little bit on in this, a little bit later on in this podcast. But um, you know, I. Abbott is a very, very solid pitcher. And he started as a bullpen guy. Then he worked his way into a full-time starter. And you can see it with the arsenal, the fastball, the slider, the curveball. They're all great. Curveball is the best pitch, as you note here in the write-up at justbaseball.com. He's working on the changeup, too. And if that changeup gets to an average level, you've got an above-average fastball, an above-average slider, a really good curveball, and an average changeup. Those four pitches deployed at any moment – creates a back of the rotation arm at his floor
1: and at his ceiling is probably a three. Yep. And and here's the interesting thing too, because we've seen that kind of work already in double a, you do the breakdown here. And when his secondary pitches are all working, he's been great. The problem is his margin for errors is still a little bit more thin because he's not going to have that, that true plus pitch and he's not gonna be able to get out of situations where his stuff is not on as much. We're seeing that right now. When you talk about the, the numbers overall, it's pretty wild, Jack. So through his first one, two, three, four, five, six starts in double A, he pitched to a 319 ERA, 31 innings, punched out 39. Over his last four starts in double A, he's been a disaster. He's allowed 20 earned runs. And and I just don't know what, what really has happened. He had one start where he went two-thirds of an inning, gave up eight runs, bounced back Went five innings of two run ball and then his last two outings, five earned runs in each of those starts has racked up strikeouts in in each stop, though. I don't know if it's a matter of an innings thing. You know, he is throwing a little bit more than he has uh, in previous years, already encroaching on 100 innings. Uh, We know that it's a little bit of a challenge in double A as well overall, Uh, but it's something to watch uh, regardless. Over the large sample size of this year is domination in high A really having a 0.67 ERA in 27 innings is a joke. It's a rough stretch right now. The the break is probably coming at a perfect time for Abbott. Uh, but I mean, this is a guy that's still earned it overall, even though he has kind of limped his way to to the all-star break. Listen, go
2: take a breather, go throw an inning, or maybe two thirds, because we've got what, 10 pitchers for each team, uh, and we've got seven innings to play with. So if Abbott's gonna throw two-thirds of an inning or, you know, work a one, two, three inning. Go do that, then chill for a couple yeah. of days. Of course, this game is what This game's on Sunday, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. So this game's on. Or no, this game is on. Um, no, because the MLB draft starts on Sunday. Okay. This game might be on Tuesday. Not Tuesday. the eighteenth. The eighteenth. That sounds right. Man, how do we not know in the futures game? We know all about the roster. We know all about the individual playing. We don't future.
1: know what day the we actual know game, what day is. the
2: futures game is. MLB futures game date. Uh... You pull that on
1: futures game. I'm going to prepare Cade Cavalli now. Who's going to be the next guy up for us. Yeah. Good job preparing Cade Cavalli. Uh So Cavalli is kind of a guy that's, that's trended in the opposite direction where it was, it was really rough for him in the beginning of the year. And then really hit his stride as of late. He got a bit of a break. I think the nationals kind of said, Hey man, relax, Uh, take a step away for a little bit. I think they skipped him through the rotation one time around might've been an injury. I don't know what it was, but they didn't say injury. Nothing was really reported there. And he got that kind of breakthrough. He only pitched three innings and then off of that break. And then the last outing, dude, he was phenomenal. He went six perfect innings in AAA and then finally gave up a couple hits in the seventh. But he went seven innings, no runs, two hits, no walks, seven Ks. Last year's Futures game was an opportunity for me to really see Kate Cavalli for the first time in person yeah. uh, outside of the the Cape. And, and the stuff was just the fact it was one of the most effortless triple digit fastballs I've seen. And that's yeah. some of the cool takeaways you can take in a one inning spurt. I know it's still just a one inning spurt. I want to see if he can sustain it for six innings, all of those things, too. But it was effortless. And, you know, we're looking at a guy that has the upside of an ace, but also has the risk of a reliever. Uh, and I think he's still kind of towing that line. But that last start was really good to see. And a guy that that absolutely belongs still in this futures game.
2: It's all dependent on him being able to throw strikes. And by the way, the futures game is on Saturday. So we were totally off. The futures game is the day before the MLB draft, which makes a ton. So the of 16th, sense. it's on the 16th. It's on okay. Saturday, the 16th. Gotcha. Um, here's the thing about Cavalli. It's all dependent on command. Literally all of it, because he's got the stuff. You mentioned the most effortless a hundred you've ever seen in your life. He gets swings and misses in the strike zone, out of the strike zone, Look at last year, 2021, he made his way from high A to triple. And in 123 and a third innings, he struck out 175 guys. He walked 60. 60 is a high number, but so far with Rochester in 67 and a third, he's punched out 68 and walked 27. So again, that walk rate is at three and a half, and that's good for him. Last year, he was at four and a half walks per night. So it'll be interesting to see how the command continues to go. You've got a 35 grade with a future of 45 on his command. Um, I almost want to say 30 to 40 because like I just I don't know if he ever finds it the way that we hope he finds it. But the stuff is so electric. He's going to survive. The question is, how many bad cease type performances are we going to see? Dylan Cease, the guy that has the most unhittable stuff in all of baseball but will throw 90 pitches through four innings and allow just one hit. You know, that's a guy that can't throw a strike to save his life sometimes out. And I feel like that's Cavalli at points.
1: Absolutely. And what's crazy is one of the pitches, again, you know, we talk about these these write-ups that you're seeing up on the wall or up on the the screen. Uh, For those just listening on the podcast side of things, fastball 60 with a 70 future, slider 60 with a 70 future. I think it's probably both of those are, closer to just 70 now. Change up 50 with the 55 future could probably be a plus pitch if he can command it. It's really tough because there's so many, you know, non-competitive pitches, but there's also a curveball that he has mixed in more now and then I actually have to throw into our updated write-up. It's not as good as the other pitches in terms of his effectiveness with it because he just it's a lot of non-competitive pitches as well with like the change up, but the shape is good. It's a power curve. It's interesting. Uh, but Again, that's just another one that he doesn't quite trust. I almost would rather him lean into the fastball slider, changeup, and, and just try to focus on commanding those pitches better. But this is a guy that, in one inning in the futures game, he could turn a lot of heads. And it's a guy that if he comes, if he's coming into pitch next inning, hold off. Don't go get your your beer or or your snack from the kitchen. Watch this guy throw. Don't miss it because if he stinks, yeah, he might stink. But if he's on, you're going to be floored at the kind of stuff. That this guy has. And, and I mean, it is really impressive uh, when he's on how darn nasty uh, he can be on the bump. But uh, I agree. It, it really is command dependent. Uh, a guy that we don't have a write up on, though, Jack, that we, we won't be able to flash it on the screen is Mike Burrows. And, and yeah. Mike Burrows is somebody that you've seen. So I'll kind of le- give you the floor here. Really good breaking ball. Still trying to find his footing in triple a little bit. And yeah. you've seen that firsthand. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Mike Burrows, a guy that you know, we had as an honorable mention in our Pirates write up, uh, but has really kind of proven to be more than just an honorable mention and and is a top 10 prospect in that system.
2: Yeah. So Burrow has probably turned into the best pitching prospect in the system, or at least the best high minor pitching prospect in the system, because you've got guys like Bubba Chandler, who's who's a two way guy that might be able to do both here. So, um, you know, obviously that that's taken with a grain of salt here. But um, you know, you look at some of the lower level guys and, and they might have more electric stuff at this moment, but they're all trying to to finally tune it with Burroughs. He was a high school draftee in 2018. He was an 11th rounder. So it was it was the bonus that signed him away from going to school. Um, he was out of Connecticut. You don't really know anything about Northeast high school guys, let alone Northeast high school pitchers. That's why the Frank Mazzucato pick for Kansas City was so odd because yeah. you know nothing about these guys. The Pirates knew next to nothing about Burroughs, but they knew that he had some room to fill. And what Burroughs has done since he's gotten into the Pirates system is add in the electricity department, add in the stuff department, while not having his command falter. So Mike Burroughs has ticked up from, you know, an, an 89 to 91 mile an hour fastball at the time of drafted to 94 to 96 all while not missing the strike zone more. You mentioned the curveball. The curveball's his best pitch. It's that it's hard curveball with 12 6 hammer type movement. It's that perfect mix of the big dropping curve and you know the the power that we talk about. And, and then he's he's a spin darling. He's got that high spin fastball, 94 to 96, can grab 97, and it's heavy. It's got a, some serious ride to it. Um, the changeup he's still working on in lefty lefty matchups but I've seen him flash very solid changeups what I like about him is he works top down you know you've got a lot of those drop and drives guys burrows is one of those that you know will get some serious turn in his delivery and be able to snap off that 12 6 type hook and let that high fastball ride to the top of the zone i think when he's on with that high spin fastball and the great hard 12 6 curve it looks a lot like what we saw from Rowan C. Contreras when he was yeah. on with the high spin fastball and the 12-6 curve. And if you've got both of those guys in the Pirates rotation, you're going to feel really good. You mentioned that, you know, the numbers are not that good with Indianapolis. He struck out 69 guys in 52 innings with AA Altoona. He then got the call up and his ERA is what? Right around six, I want to say, with with Indy? Yeah, but walking nobody. um, Walking nobody. The peripherals look pretty good. Here's the thing. He's made four starts with Indy. Um, The first one, he was pulled prematurely after like three and a third. Against Memphis, um, he was hit a little bit in his final inning. And then they go on the road. He starts in Nashville. He was shut out through four. And then they strung like four extra base hits together consecutively against him in the fifth. And then at home against Iowa this past week, he had allowed, I think, one run through four and he was looking great. And then all of a sudden he blows up at the fifth again. So I think they're trying to stretch him out. It's kind of blowing up in their yep. face right now. Uh, but we'll see what
1: what the all-star break does for him. Well, it seems like a big factor in, in that is is third time around the order. Classic yes. conversation here to have when, when your best pitch is a curveball that, that you lean on very heavily. You got to have that third pitch Changeup up is shown flashes, right? Like it, it, the end zone whiff on that is, is, is good. The swinging strike percentage is good, uh, but he just doesn't have as much confidence with it as isn't going it to it quite as much as he needs to probably third time through the order. I, like many pitchers with a good fastball and a great breaking ball. The third pitch is going to be the question. And, you know, I, I do have confidence with the trajectory that this guy's been on. He's still just 22 years old that he could he can put it together on the mound with the third pitch and and be a, a solid middle of the rotation big league starter by, you know, by next year. I think that's very fair. And I'm, I'm interested to see how his stuff kind of looks in the futures game as, alongside, you know, some of the nastiest pitching prospects in baseball.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, and I don't think that he's going to look out of place, which last year, if you said that about Mike Burroughs, you'd say, oh, he. He would totally look out of place, but well, the way he's, that he's progressed.
1: Uh, Hunter, he's just another one of those candidates where if he told me before the year that this guy's playing in the Futures game, I'd be like, wow, that is that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and 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 that's not the case with like the next two guys. So it's cool to, to see the mixture because you're surprised about a Michael Burrows. You're expecting a Kyle Harrison yes. uh, to make that team. Right. Yes. And, and Kyle Harrison I mean, when we did the preseason write-up, as you can see the number next to, to Kyle Harrison's name as the write-up goes on the screen, he was the 58th ranked prospect for us before this season. And, and I, I specify before this season because he has done nothing but just boost his prospect status, boost his, his I guess, just prospect stock in general. I mean, what he did in Woe last year as a high school guy in his first professional season was insane. Struck out more than 14 batters per nine. He had a 319 ERA. He was spectacular. Walks were a little bit high, but he just carved dudes up. What he did in high A this year through seven starts was comical, Jack. Comical. 18.3 Ks per nine in seven starts. Albeit their short spurt starts, it's 29 innings, I don't care. That's the most insane strikeout rate I think I've seen from a pitcher with you know at least close to 30 innings uh, in a while. And a 1.55 ERA to go with that. So quickly the Giants realize, hey, th- th- this guy needs to be in, in double. And he's in double A now and continuing to be effective. Strikeout rate normalizes to 12.76 yeah. per nine. Oh, boo-hoo. And he is walking guys, and that's the thing to watch. And you know what? If the biggest issue with my lefty high school guy, who is still 20 years old, is that he is still walking some dudes in Double A, and remaining effective at a three one nine ERA, I, I am very very happy with this outcome. And, and the reason why Kyle Harrison has just been able to dominate, dominate lower level guys, and make the transition to High A is insanely, insanely data darling, like perfect profile fastball in the mid nineties from a low release point that just takes off. And it, it's almost Robbie Ray esque with the way the fastball just kind of flies out of his hand. The difference is he has the perfect pitch to go off of that, a changeup from the same release point, the same arm speed that you can't tell the difference until it's dropping under your barrel. The fastball changeup combination has allowed him to just utterly be disgusting the good news is he also has a slider that he mixes in there a little bit as well that looks above average. For me, you, I got no questions yeah. on the stuff. It's all about the command.
2: Right. You you've got um you know, you just ooed and odd over the strikeout numbers obviously and the swing and miss stuff. How about the lack of contact? Mm-hmm. Just the lack of hard contact against him. Totally. I'm looking at hits per 9 here. Eugene when he made high A his his bitch i i mean it was incredible like he had a 155 ERA, like you mentioned 29 innings struck out 59 and walked 10 in 29 innings he only allowed 19 hits and what has he done since going up to richmond at the double a level he's striking out fewer guys he's walking a couple more guys but nobody's getting hits against him the hits per nine in eugene across those 29 innings if you math it out is 5.9 5.9 hits per nine. He goes to double-A Richmond, and across 42 and a third innings, opponents are getting 5.3 hits per night. Nobody's hitting the ball hard enough to get on base. The only guys that are getting on base are getting on base via walk. So you're right. I mean, the only question here is command. If the command is there, what he can do with the fastball and change up,
1: it'll look a lot like 2021 Trevor Rodgers. Yep. And I I wanted to say it, but I just... (laughs) I can't I compare Waldachuk and we'll get to him too. I think Harrison and Waldachuk have share a lot of characteristics with Rogers, which is insane fastball. That's hard to pick up from a difficult release point and a change up that looks just like it until it's too late. The difference with Harrison is that I think the slider has a little bit more potential. And I think you could say the same thing with Waldachuk uh, And these guys probably have some more upside there. Uh, obviously, We didn't think Rogers would take the step back, but I think they could be on that similar trajectory that Rogers was on up till the beginning of this year. I'm not saying Rogers is cooked, but it just kind of disrupts the the comp when the guy's stinking at the big league level at this point, though he did kind of finish strong in yesterday's outing, but that's for the just baseball show, uh, not the call up. But one last thing I want to say on Harrison is that he throws the fastball a lot around 63% of the time, but it doesn't really matter because it's so good. And it's kind of like Christian Javier where we see him go to the fastball so heavily but because of his ability to locate it, because of the ride on the pitch and the ability to limit hard contact. Really, the only way you're going to beat Kyle Harrison, Jack, the way you kind of laid it out was if he walks a couple guys and you get that clutch hit because he's going to strand base runners with the best of them. He's shown that pretty much at 80% left on base percentage, which generally implies to regression, but not with a guy like him because he can get the swings and misses in big spots. Kyle Harrison is, is another dude that probably one of the youngest guys in the Futures game. Uh, Jackson Chorio has him beat. Uh, But at 20 years old, Harrison's going to be a frontline starter and and, and could break into the big leagues pretty young, Uh, maybe at 21 years old or or 22 at the latest. And uh, that's pretty darn exciting. I think so. Another young guy that's shoving through the upper minors is Bobby Miller of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Bobby Miller entered the season as our 49th ranked prospect. And again, we've talked about this. Dodgers pitching prospects are tough because – they baby their guys. You know, we, we always see that. And look, I, I, we're, we're not giving them a hard time for it because clearly what they do works, but it was hard to, I, I really wanted to put Miller as one of the top pitching prospects period in baseball. And he's close to that at 49th overall in our preseason rankings, but I wanted to put him higher. It was hard given that he was not stretched out. Well, guess what? They are stretching him out in double a now, Jack. And over his last several outings, he's done five innings, nine K's, no earned runs, six innings, 10 Ks, no earned runs. Uh, we're seeing him start to get stretched out more, a lot more five plus inning outings, and he has been spectacular this season. Plus fastball, plus slider, a changeup that flashes plus, and a good taste breaking curveball, and the command has been solid. I mean, that sounds like an ace, Jack.
2: It sounds like an ace, and his last start at home was against Arkansas, which is um which is Seattle's Double-A affiliate. And it was he and Emerson Hancock. And that was as must-watch TV in minor league baseball as as we had. That came on July 3rd. And Bobby Miller, six innings, two hits, no runs, ten punch-outs, three walks in that game. Hancock was really good. Bobby Miller was better. If he's going to show up for these marquee outings where you can circle the pitching matchup and say that is the best pitching matchup, not just in double-A, but in all of minor league baseball tonight, and he's going to show up for that occasion— then that tells me all I have to know about Bobby Miller. And that that's that he's a gamer. Um, The word that I use for him is overpowering. Yep. Because he's a big dude. His quads are massive. His hamstrings complement the quad. I mean, just like this guy has a he's got a bigger Strider type build, right? Like if if Spencer Strider was six, five, he would look like Bobby Miller. And Bobby Miller did not look like that when he showed up to Louisville. But by his junior year, he looked like that. And and testament to that guy and what he did in the weight room and what he's continued to do. He takes exceptional care of his body, which in turn results in overpowering stuff. See the 55 to 60 grade on his fastball. You see the 60 grade on his slider. See the 55 on his changeup. You only need those three pitches. And oh, by the way, he's got an average curveball too. I think if Bobby Miller lives off the prototypical hard-throwing right-hander stuff, the fastball and slider, he would be good. If he has a changeup and a curveball that both tick above average in his back pocket as well, he becomes great. And I think he's an overpowering guy that can drop in a hook or mix it up with a taste-breaking change-up. That's why they call it the great equalizer. I, I think that this guy has the chance to legitimately become one of those, like, aces that is the three in the Dodgers rotation right? with Bueller, (laughs) with Urias with Gonsolin and then you've got Bobby Miller slotted in here too Um, tell you what I wouldn't be shocked if he made his way up in in short
1: inning spurts
2: this year if the Dodgers have a spot to fill
1: so one last thing I want to say on Miller because I think you hit the nail on the head on all of that uh, the fastball might be closer. Remember, this was preseason. He continues to gain velo as he matures. And you talk about the strength and, and the physicality and the clean mechanics. Now, what do you think is fastball average fastball velo is this year? Ninety seven. Ninety nine point three. Fuck. That would be among the I think that would be tied or right there with Hunter Green for the best in Major League Baseball this year. The reason why that's not an 80 fastball is it doesn't quite have the shape. And that's the thing is I think we get very VLO centric. That doesn't quite have the shape of like a Kyle Harrison fastball, but he's getting there. He's starting to spin it a little bit better. It could be trending towards a 70 grade fastball. And when you're sitting 99.3, it's hard to even, even if it is a little bit flat at times, it's hard to justify not having that as a plus plus pitch. And we're seeing him dominate with the pitch, but not over relying on it. Just throwing it 46% of the time, this guy's going to be freaking good. If you were to
2: spot his fastball on the graph, like obviously you've got high spin fastball, dead zone fastball in the middle, and then you've got a sinker uh, in, in the bottom. Where is he? He's probably dead zone,
1: but towards the higher spin area. Exactly. It's right between, I would say. And, and that, he's been making a lot of progress. He mixes in a sinker, too, which I think is great because that's like that Sandy Alcantara type of approach. I'd like to see him go to the sinker a bit more, and then it'll make that four-seamer seem like it rides a bit more. But to answer your question, yeah, I think he's right between, you know, in the middle, sandwiched between, you know, that that dead zone and, and high spin, which if you're throwing 99.3, that is just fine. I want to fly through some of the other pitchers who we don't have write-ups on because they've either been emergent this year And or, you know, just we didn't get to that system quite or they weren't quite top 100 guys. Antoine Kelly of the Mm -hmm. Milwaukee Brewers was a surprise because I mean Kelly's a super athletic, very talented pitcher. Twenty two years old. He's dealt with shoulder issues uh, for for much of his career, specifically last year. I think that hampered him for for the back end of the season. He's been really nasty. I see a ton of reliever risk here still a guy that's walking more than five per nine. uh, But in high A this year, 79 innings. 376 ERA, lefty who gets swings and misses, fastballs plus, sliders plus. He's gonna be a reliever, but he's he's gonna be a darn good one, I think. Yeah, this is uh one of my
2: Chicago guys. He was originally taken back in 2018 out of high school, went to Maine East, Decker up playing Maine East, and then uh, he went to a uh junior college in Mount Carmel, Illinois, Wabash Valley College. Cool. So that's uh that's my guy, the Chicago guy, and um Kelly. I I've heard things about Antoine Kelly. Coming up through high school because this was the guy that was just gross. You know, whenever you showed up at anything in the Chicagoland area, it was, dude, you got to check out this dude. He, yeah. he, he's nasty. And, yeah. and that's what this guy is. And so far this year, the high A level, you mentioned 16 starts, a 376 ERA. He's got 104 punch outs and in 79 innings. It's hard to argue with 104 punch outs. It's 12 punch outs per nine. Um, He is walking a lot of guys. That's hence the reliever risk, right? The command needs to needs to tick up for him to survive and be an innings eater. But across 16 starts, he's thrown 79 innings. So he's, you know, getting relatively deep into starts at the minor league level. Um, I'm with you. I think the command needs to be there. But uh, I'm excited to see this guy throw because it is going to be an
1: introduction to Antoine Kelly for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And that's what I'm excited about is a 22 year old who's going to get to really just put his stuff you know, on the map in a one inning spurt. He's going to be nasty. on the national stage. I mean, these guys right.
2: don't play on national TV. He's playing on national TV. They don't play before. on TV,
1: period. Most of them, you know, or yeah. they have that little local TV deal that that like 100 people tune into. So oh, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a lot different. I'm also looking at the clock here, Jack, and I'm realizing we should do like two episodes we should do national league american league because there's so many guys i want to talk about here
2: i shot you a text i said may need to split this into two episodes
1: okay good so we're doing that sorry to the listeners that were hoping for for uh all in one but i feel like it's probably better to have us go more in depth on both rosters it's a lot of players i was kind of shocked scrolling through i was like this roster is kind of big yeah Um, so follow-up question
2: do you want to do pitchers or do you want to do national league national league and then, we'll go, and then we'll go and American then we'll League go American time. League tomorrow.
1: Yes. Correct. Okay. Bonus cool. episode, baby. Uh, that's what we're here for. We didn't put one out Monday. We're going to put out a bonus episode here. So uh, now we, now I can calm down, not rush it and, and really give these guys the time of day and a big push for me to want to kind of just realize, Hey, I don't want to rush this anymore. Is that we still had Yuri Perez in the back pocket. Yeah. Yuri Perez, Miami Marlins organization, Uh, It says 18 on the screen here. He's now 19. Uh, Oh, no, he's very washed. Yeah, he's very old for double A. Youngest player at the double A level. He is ridiculous, man. And we unfortunately didn't get to catch Yuri Perez on our trip. Um, We didn't time up with him. uh, And and that was unfortunate. But, you know, we already know what kind of guy he is on the mound and how special he is. 19 years old and, and legitimately turned 19 two months ago. And is carving up double A competition. This kid is six foot eight with an elite fastball that I think projects to be an 80 grade pitch, 70 presently, because it sits upper 90s with a ton of ride, a ton of extension that he gets. But what amazes me the most about this guy, Jack, is he's a, a six foot eight teenage right hander with ridiculous stuff. Would your first Like how much money would you put if I gave you that that outlook didn't tell you who it was, and I said, Yeah, this this right hander is six foot eight with plus stuff and is 19 years old, you're gonna say, Oh, he must walk per nine. Eight walks per nine. Yeah. Well, it's two. It's two walks per nine. And that is the most amazing part, is not only does he not walk guys, dude, he will throw any pitch in any freaking count. And for a 19 year old with his long levers, with what he has to control in terms of his moving parts of his body, his mechanics are so smooth. His arm is so, his arm path is so smooth. It's effortless velo. He sits 97. He could sit higher if he wanted to, but he spots up and the slider hold back door you uh, in hitters counts. The changeup is spectacular. And holy salt to mix in a curveball a little bit more now too. This kid's special, man. So one lofty
2: expectation, one loftier expectation. And I'm, I'm comping him to these guys because they were tall and skinny guys that had um, you know a a lot of surface area to have to time up a hundred times a game if you're going to throw a hundred pitches like that's the thing about baseball and I think the short pitcher survives now obviously that's that's very weird that people don't think short pitchers can can survive but I actually do think that they survive and thrive now because they have fewer things to worry about it's point a to point b with Yuri Perez like there's a lot to worry about because like you mentioned, the arms never end. He's got Kevin Durant type arms. Imagine Kevin Durant becoming, and I mean, like we saw him at Texas. He was not this finely tuned machine. He was an incredible basketball player with insane talent, but he overcame some mechanical inconsistencies. And when Kevin Durant timed everything up and his jumper looked the exact same, every time he became the best scorer that maybe we've ever seen. Randy Johnson could not throw a strike when he was coming up. But when he timed everything up, he became maybe the most dominant pitcher we've ever seen in baseball. That's the loftier expectation. The lofty expectation. Tyler Glass now really struggled to throw strikes because he was 6'8 and long and his arms never end and he's got long legs. And then Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach for Tampa, got his hands on him and they started to figure out the command a little bit more and they started to figure out how to create some mechanical consistencies. And Glassnow was looking like a Cy Young front runner before tearing his UCL last year. What Yuri Perez is doing as an 18-year-old with that type of build is so far beyond what Tyler Glassnow was doing, is so far beyond what Randy Johnson was doing, and cross sports so far beyond what Kevin Durant was doing. Yuri Perez just put together the best start of his professional career last time out. It was last week in Mississippi. He went six innings allowed two hits only run was a solo homer 10 strikeouts no walks yeah that's what we're going to start to expect
1: from him it's it's unbelievable and and you wonder like when do we start talking about this guy debuting um and, and it's crazy to say because i would have never even thought it was a possibility i still don't think it's happening this year there's no reason to rush the moments uh, you know unless they're making a push down the, down the stretch here and really need another pitcher it doesn't really make sense but this is a guy that could probably get the bump up to triple relatively soon if he continues to put together a few more outings. So you talk about what he did last outing, but but Jackie was the same thing the outing before that Two Roughly five innings, eight Ks, one earned run there. Uh, the only difference being that he walked a couple guys, but like overall he has just been a machine. And what stands out to me the most is also the breaking ball development. Again, a reminder that that we wrote these write ups before the season that are on the screen for those on YouTube. He had breaking balls that kind of blended together and, and that was something that for me I was like I'm just going to give the curveball a grade and, and see if he if he can really differentiate the slider he's differentiated the slider that was something that that glass now worked on ironically too as you're talking about him now he's got a slider in the fold as well he's got four pitches he can command and he's comfortable with that he can go out with you uh, and, and throw in any count this guy's this guy could be one of the best pitchers in baseball uh, very very soon and it's crazy because him and Sandy Alcantara together at the top of a rotation is going to be comical and I'm just I'm just salivating at the idea of Yuri Perez getting up to the big leagues and being able to learn from a Sandy Alcantara and a Mel Stoudemire Jr. Yeah uh, at the top there the Marlins pitching coach this guy's in a good situation which I rarely say about the Marlins org but with the teammates that he'll have at the big league level with the coaching he has at the big league level with what he's already been able to do on his own this is one of the biggest steals in international free agent history, I think, given that he signed for less than six. I think it, it, I have 200 in there. I think it was even less than that. It might have been right around 200 K, but th- that's just the steal of all steals.
2: It is the steal of all steals. Um, and if I'm the director of ticket sales for the Miami Marlins, I am drooling right now. Thinking about a weekend series at home against a pretty good team where you can line up Sandy on a Friday and Yuri Perez on a Saturday.
1: Yeah. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. And you I sell and I, tickets. Yeah, I mean, we saw the Jose Fernandez effect. We're starting mm-hmm. to see the Sandy effect. More more butts in seats when he pitches. That's the way the Marlins need to sell tickets, is that every single day through the rotation, it's going to be someone worth watching. And, and I don't think they're too far away from that. I have a correction to make on you, though. We did see a Futures game guy, and his name is Jared Schuster. Wow. And People will not be able to appreciate Jared Schuster of the Atlanta Braves because what makes Jared Schuster so great is that you could go to a game and you could leave within two hours. If yeah. Jared Schuster is facing Yeri Paris, I, I, I would actually th- think there's a, there's a chance that you could get a sub-two-hour ball game with the pitch clock. Schuster so. is, is really interesting because he came up when he was drafted out of Wake Forest. It was like crazy stuff no command if you look at his walk numbers at wake. And then he he now is settled in as average-ish stuff, deception, great command, and works so quickly that you actually are, are floored. And I think it plays into his advantage. He will catch the ball with his heel on the rubber and almost be ready to start his, his windup again. We talked to hitters about it. We talked to some of the Blue Wahoos, and they're like, I hate it. It's a pain in the ass. It really does disrupt your timing, and it really does, you know, it doesn't let you kind of think about what's coming next and, and get ready to go. Fastball is more in the low 90s, but has a good profile. You'll notice that's a trend here with a lot of these guys. And the changeup is great. Mixes in a decent slider. This is a three-pitch lefty with good command and good tempo. He's going to be a solid big league starter, I think, for a long time.
2: I think so, too. And can I point something out here? Because you mentioned when he was at Wake, he was, you know, great stuff, no command. Um, his sophomore year at Wake in 2019 – He appeared in 15 games, 68 innings, 37 walks. It's a very high number. And then he goes to Orleans that summer in the Cape. And in 32 innings, he walked five guys. And then think, right. in the COVID short in 2020 at Wake, he started four games, went 26 and a third, walked four guys in 26 and a third. So something happened in Orleans, whether it was Kelly Nicholson, that, that head man <laughs> in, uh, with the with the birds. Um, I have no idea what it was, but all I can tell you is something clicked out on the Cape and Schuster has not looked back and he has been filled the strike zone get the ball and throw it as soon as possible. I think he could survive with an eight second pitch clock and not a 19 second pitch. clock.
1: (laughs) I think he could could survive with a five second pitch clock. I've legitimately never seen anything like it. Uh, You'll get a quick taste of it, but again, don't get a snack because you will miss a full inning. Most likely if if you go get a snack while he's pitching last pitcher is, (laughs) you know, like he's had a great year, Eric Miller, Philadelphia Phillies organization. Um, He's had a really good year. He's 24 years old. Mm -hmm. He's he's in double a it's just one of those where if the Phillies had a half decent system with all due respect to Eric Miller, who's going to have a good big league career, he's going to be a big liquor. And and I I don't, I don't want to tear him down here, but it's just, just kind of explaining the situation here. If the Phillies had a better system, I I think we would see some other guys there, but I'm kind of floored that the Phillies opted to not go with Mick Abel or Andy painter in this game. I
2: think Yandy Painter, it's way too soon for him being a high school guy drafted last year. I don't don't think you can do that to him because if he gets blown up in the Futures game, I I have no idea what that does to his confidence.
1: And he he has struggled a little bit since his promotion to high A, has settled in, had a good last outing. Mick Abel, I guess, you know, a year ahead of him in terms of the development, but but. Probably the same mentality there from the Phillies, it seems like. Right.
2: Like you might as well just protect the two, the two people in your system here. And Eric Miller is is number three. He's a good number three, but he's nowhere close to what Painter and uh and what Mick Abel are. I mean,
1: he's made fourteen appearances this year, seven of them starts seven out of the bullpen, probably a reliever, but let's talk about the numbers. One four six ERA. He's been spectacular. I think could be a really good lefty swing man, could help the Phillies this year. Bullpen has surprisingly been good as of late for the Phillies. But if they need someone to, to kind of fill in and be that lefty swingman, Eric Miller is more than capable of doing so. 94 mile an hour fastball, solid pitches across the board with the changeup slider as well, both at least average. Throw strikes uh, with, with the secondaries, at least at a decent clip. And it you know, should, should be a solid option for them very soon, uh, but yeah. probably not a guy that people are showing up to watch, uh, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, and he's a Stanford man. So you got to salute him for that. High academic guy, uh, Stanford man, I think. I, I've played this game with some people. If you could go to any school in America, uh-huh. where are you going? Stanford? Stanford. Stanford.
1: Me too. UNC, school. maybe. I've always my, I've, think, I've, I've okay. Those are my an two
2: answers. Stanford and Carolina are. It's as an two athlete, answers. right? It's as an athlete. I always yeah. thought of it from a baseball lens, and I would say
1: Stanford or Carolina. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh no no-brainer. It would be Stanford, Carolina for me. Maybe there's one or two that I'm missing, but I, I think yeah. that's just some of the coolest and all around just awesome school that you can go to and yeah. uh, look look at the legend Brock Jones and, and what, right. he, what, what he did at Stanford. Uh, but I, I'm thinking um, New Mexico State is probably number three for me just because uh, if I'm play, a hitter. Yeah, yeah they play really? on Mars. <laughs> you and I might go yard there. Um, Francisco Alvarez as we go to the position players. How could we start with anybody else? Number five prospects in our top 100 ahead of the year. So you can only imagine where he's going to be now because he's only done Basically, everything to to just boost his prospect stock allure, whatever you want to call it. The Mets catching prospect, the Mets top prospect, has just been laughably good. I, there's just really no other way to put it. Twenty years old and doesn't turn twenty one till the season is over and just destroyed double a pitching. He is he's had a rough five games I don't really care in triple A. The fact oh, that this I guy's care. twenty years old in triple A. Uh, the youngest player now at the level after Gunnar Henderson got up there. It is just absolutely wild. His numbers are double A this year, 277, 368, 533, or 553, excuse me, 18 home runs, 12% walk rate, 24% K rate. You'll get the scouting grades on the screen. Above average hit tool projection, plus plus raw power, plus plus game power. He runs decently, and he's an above average defender uh, in the future, presently an average defender. That's best catcher in baseball territory. I think the only thing that could stop Francisco Alvarez from being the best catcher in baseball is Adley Rutschman realizing his entire potential because of the ways that he can impact the game, both behind the dish and offensively. But I mean, Francisco Alvarez is going to be a top five catcher in baseball, probably almost from the jump. Because I assume, let's hope the Mets don't rush him. But once he's ready, I don't think he's going to blink. And he has not blinked at any level.
2: Do you know what the average age of a triple A hitter is? 24, 25, 27. Woo. So Francisco Alvarez is six and a half years younger than the average triple A hitter. <laughs> Having said that, I'm slamming the panic button on his first five games with Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, how worried are you? I mean, Shut up. Uh, like a 922 OPS and double as a 20 year old it's hard to argue with anything that he has. You have a 65, 70 on his raw power makes perfect sense. You've got a 45, 55 on his field. Yeah. I think he's got one of the strongest arms behind plate in I, minor league baseball. I agree. Where I agree. can he improve there? Because it's hard to get more agile as somebody who's 5'10, 235 yeah. pounds.
1: He's absolutely agile. It, it, it's just a little bit of, and it was funny. Cause that was one that I like, I, I don't love watching catchers. And, and I'm always going to be transparent where like I sat down, remember <laughs> Anthony Molrine, friend of the show. I sat down with him after we recorded the episode and 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 I've called him on multiple occasions. I'm just like, give me some some advice on what I should be looking for here. I have a rough idea. I can tell what catcher moves well. I can see who receives well, but like, give me some things that you're looking for. As you know, Anthony Moron is one of the best defensive catchers in the minors. And so I was looking at the receiving and the receiving needs a little bit of work. Shocker, a 20 year old who has always been, you know, kind of just celebrated for his offensive abilities. Needs a little bit of work receiving. He's agile, but doesn't get himself in the right positions all the time, you know, where he he can get there, but he's not really fundamentally in the perfect spot to block. Well, he has already improved that this was before the season. I'd probably say he's closer to a 50 with a 60 future if you're hoping that, you know, he can continue to project uh, because, again, you talk about the agility, you talk about the hose of an arm he has. I think he's probably closer to that grade. But going into this year, there were some struggles you know, with the receiving and there were some struggles with the blocking. Uh, but the, the the arm is ridiculous. And the athleticism behind the dish is really what stands out to me. I mean, it, it's going to be hard to find a more athletic catcher. And that seems to be where the, where the game is trending. And I love that. I, I'm all in on the athletic catcher because I think it's very clear that that seems to work well in, in the development scheme of things.
2: Yeah, and the Mets are going to need a catcher very, very soon. Very, very soon, meaning maybe
1: end of 2022. We'll see. I, one last thought on on Francisco Alvarez. In terms of 90th percentile exit velocity, Jack, yeah. he's eighth in the entire organization. That's including the major league team. Eighth in all of the organization. Do
2: you so, know how hard it is to hit a ball really hard at 20 years old? All the time. A lot of these guys have multiple kids. And dad strength is a real thing. When you get to 30, your forearms are naturally
1: stronger than everybody else's. And and the craziest part is he's making more contact than almost every single guy ahead of him. Yeah. That's the craziest part. You got Khalil Lee ahead of him. Pete Alonzo. Okay, J.D. Davis. Great. He hits it straight on the ground. uh, And Brett Beatty. Francisco Alvarez right there. Of course, you also got Daniel Palka, who crushes baseballs, but he's, he's about 30 years old in AAA. <laughs> yeah. So, sounds about right. That's a guy that has talent. dedicated
2: his baseball life
1: to hitting the ball as hard as humanly possible when he makes contact. Yeah. Might work. He's almost there. Uh, Fangraphs has a 40 present and 40 future on Alvarez's hit tool. I think that's respectably just respectfully BS. I see an above-average hitter and and, and comfortably above-average because of his ability to walk and really just kind of keep the strikeouts in the low twenties consistently. Uh, another kind of wonderkin uh, type of catcher that I have been really impressed with. Actually, let's go to Henry Davis first, and we'll go to the Wonderkin because I have Henry Davis queued up. Let's go to Henry Davis with the Pirates. Injury-plagued a little bit. Obviously, the Wonderkin I was talking about was Diego Cartaya. We'll get to him in a second. Yes, Henry right. Davis. 35th prospect in baseball coming into the year. Number one overall pick in last year's draft. Has really hit, for the most part, every second we've seen him. Kind of got activated a little bit too early. I think he was trying to play through an injury yes. and yeah. back to the IL, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Um,
2: so he's back on the IL. He's
1: not going to play in this Futures game. No. But we. we I want to give him the respectful nod here because you know this is somebody that was so good. I mean, the numbers collegiately rivaled actually were better than joey bart i always like comparing those because bart was the number two pick and you know i thought his numbers were better offensively above average field to hit insane raw power one of the best arms out there but a lot of questions about you know how he can receive and how he projects defensively uh, but what he did in 22 games in high a this year man 18 percent k rate hit 341 450 585 five homers I think he was gonna hit the ground running and double, but was battling some injuries. He's not gonna play in this futures game. He's gotta get healthy again. But I mean, this is a guy that probably sticks where he is in our midseason update. But when he's healthy and gets a full season under his belt, could be again another one of the top catching prospects in baseball.
2: Yeah. And he was hitting a buck seventy seven in double A. Uh in, you know, very small sample size. I think it was what, seventeen games with Altuna? Yeah, hitting one seventy seven. Um listen, like it it, it's hard for me to understand why he rushed it back, but I also understand like that's his competitive fire. And he probably looked at the roadmap and he looked at Michael Perez and Tyler Heineman doing the catching for the pirates and said, I I could be be there this year. year. I could be there literally this year. If I put together what I did in Greensboro in Altoona, and then I go to Indy for a taste and then I can get up. Um, I, I think he got a little bit overzealous. Um, And unfortunately for the Pirates, that's the second guy whose Mm -hmm. injury was more serious than I think everybody was thinking. Nick Gonzalez, too. He was day to day with heel discomfort. And then that turned into a 60 day I.L. stint out of absolutely nowhere with Henry Davis. He was shelved for about three weeks. His wrist was not healed entirely. And obviously, when you're swinging with a bad wrist, the bad wrist only gets worse. Yep, And you can only put so much tape on your wrist.
1: And there's so. nothing that hampers a swing more than a wrist or hand issue. We just saw yeah. Jordan Alvarez try to play through it. He went to the I.L. <laughs> if Jordan Alvarez can't swing through an issue, nobody can. And, and, and nobody. I really, I can't emphasize enough how much th- the wrist affects the swing. But even then, through that quote-unquote slump, walking 9% of the time, striking out 18.7% of the time, like if that's the slump, I think he's going to be just fine. And that was a banged up. You know, stretch there for him. Bat is not yeah. a question for me. It's 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 the glove. The arm is is a rocket. He's he's another good athlete. I think he'll find a way to be more than fine defensively, especially if we go to Robo lumps, which seems to yes. be imminent. Uh, but regardless, I, I think he's going to be more than fine uh, defensively I mean, and projects to be a really really good catcher. We got loaded catchers right now in in professional baseball, like we prospect do. wise, it is insane. We absolutely do. Um, I love talking to
2: catchers about the possibility of robotic gumps. And I also hate it for them um, yeah, I because I just get like pure unfiltered reaction to it. And they all hate it. They're just like so much of what I work on just is just duping the guy right behind me and it's gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and that's that's the unfortunate side of it. But like you also think about it and it's like, should duping be part of the game? And that's an entirely different. conversation. I, I think it should. I think it should. I think it's a, it's a nuance to baseball that makes it very cool. Um, yes. It's like selling fouls in the NBA that just got too far gone. It used to be a great nuance of the game, then it got yes. too ridiculous, where you know you could tapped on the head and these guys get full whiplash. But right, it was a nuance that made basketball great too, uh, to a degree, and then it got egregious, and then people got really pissed about it, uh, yes. and, and understandably so. Uh, a guy that I'm I'm gonna like. I love to to talk about the guys that, as we all do, that we were right on. I'm gonna come out here and say. I was too low on Diego Cartaya and I'm a bozo because, well, I mean, and, and relatively speaking, right? He was 63rd on our top 100 West coming into the year. Uh, but the Dodgers catching prospect, again, kind of reinforces what we're saying here about just being a, a loaded position in the minors. I had concerns about him, his ability to hit breaking balls. I thought he was you know, kind of flew open. I had some concerns with the swing. He, he fixed those very quickly. He's got hurt, earned, very high marks for his makeup. Is just maturity behind the dish, his maturity at the plate, and, and we're seeing it. I mean, this guy was a prized international free agent, $2.5 million as a 16-year-old in 2018, and has lived up to every bit of the hype. What he's doing offensively this year is crazy, Jack. I mean, between low A and high A so far this season, it, it, it's been insane. He's actually been better in high A, if anything. 270, 406, 539 slash line. walk rate, 28% K rate. And there's a lot of excitement about what he's able to do behind the dish. Apparently calls a great game. Classic youngster that needs to work on the receiving, but the tools are great. This guy's going to be a well-rounded, really good catcher for a very long time. And, and I mean, he's going to be way up there on the mid season update and I'm going to be like, Hey, I underestimated this guy, you know, screw me. But I'm very excited to do that.
2: He's he's just a 20 year old that does not show any signs of being 20 years old because he's, Bigger than that, he looks way more mature than that. I mean, he's six, what, he's 6'2, 220, 6'3, 220. I think he's 6'3, 220. And his maturity, like you're saying, calls a great game. What 20 year old on earth calls a great game? What <laughs> the are guy that mean? the Dodgers find? Yeah, like, of course, right? And they probably coach him up to call a great game. But I mean, like, there should not be a catcher under 27 years old that is this good at managing a pitching staff, and he's doing it at 20 years old. He's got lots of pop. You mentioned the walk rate is high. He's got, what, an 140-point jump between his batting average and his OBP? Yeah, which is insane. It's insane as as a guy this young. He's playing beyond his years, and this is going to be a catcher that is playing beyond his years. Think about what Alejandro Kirk is doing offensively for the Blue Jays, and that's what you can dream on with Cartaya, with – you know, cartaya has got more swing and miss, like a lot more swing and miss to his game. But in terms of the eye, in terms of, you know, what he understands with the zone and what he can bring on an intangibles basis, it's going to be very similar to what we've seen from
1: an all-star in Alejandro Kirk's rookie season. We make fun of the uh, TLDRs uh, on Fangraphs, but I like this one from Fangraphs. It's Diego Cartaya is a Salvador Perez starter kit. Remember, Salvi was a great defender at one point, um, and we know what he does in terms of calling games. I love it because I think the power is there. If it all clicks for for him, he is Salvi Perez. He's hitting thirty pumps and and playing good defense. And you know, I think he walks a lot more, obviously, but that doesn't take much. But I, I agree with everything you said, Jack. One last note on on, on Alvarez, which or excuse me, Cartaya, which I love, is that he is handling some of the best pitching prospects in baseball whether it was Bobby Miller in the early parts of the year, Gavin Stone now in in the latter part, uh, uh, or at least now in the midway through the season, like he's handling guys that have Kendall Williams as well. Some of the best stuff you're going to see. And I think that's only going to prepare him for the next level and continue to make that smooth transition. Being in the Dodgers organization is a great place for this guy. And I think he's going to continue to develop very, very nicely. Yes. Next guy we don't have a write-up on because he came out of nowhere this year. Logan Ohoppy. Last catcher that we're going to discuss in the Phillies organization, this guy has been spectacular. He was a 23rd round pick back in 2018, 677th overall. He's been pretty solid offensively, honestly, a very under-the-radar guy who it took him really making a major impact power-wise to to get on radars. He's a solid defender. I don't think there's much question there, and now he's swinging it. He looks like the catcher of the future for the Phillies. What he's doing right now – in double A is, is really impressive. 276, 392, 525 slash line, 12.5% walk rate, 16.6% K rate. Perhaps the most impressive part about all of this is 14 homers in 63 games in double A. This guy seems to have figured it out at the plate. He's a, at least an average defender, maybe better than that. He's probably a top 100 prospect in our mid season update. Still just 22 years old. A couple of team shout outs.
2: Logan Hoppy was a 2019 Williamsport cross cutter which was the short season affiliate of the Phillies. I saw Logan Ohoppy play in 2019. And I said, wow, this is a big athletic catcher. He can't hit right now, but kind of interesting. You know, he's 6'2", 190. um, And and he was all right. 2019 in short season ball, he had 216 in 45 games. So I was like, yeah, okay. then he goes to Adelaide. He's an Adelaide Giant in the Australian Winter League. And he was, you know, kind of raking over there. He comes back, climbs from high A to triple last year. Has an amazing fall. Shout out the Peoria Javelinas. He had a great year in the Arizona Fall League. And then he comes back this year. And like you mentioned, the low K rate for a guy that can impact the ball as severely as him is the most impressive thing. And he's a good defensive catcher, too. I'm with you. I think once Real Muto is off the books, it's Logan O'Hoppies. And it's crazy
1: because he's not the sexiest prospect in the world, but like he talks about, he just does a little bit of everything well. And I think something really clicked for him power-wise in the Arizona Fall League. Like, I know the ball flies there, but it seems like that's, a, that's an area where players always talk about they can work on things. seems like he's found a way to tap into more power without his, his contact rate uh, coming at expense, and, and that's really exciting. Speaking of exciting, probably one of my favorite prospects in baseball, a guy that you know when we huh. dove into the red system last year, I saw this guy, and it was kind of before the hype, and I was like, dude, why have we not heard about him? And then it just seemed like shortly after, all of a sudden, boom, the explosion happens. De la Cruz is insane. I mean, this guy came in this year for us. I think we had him higher than almost everybody else in the industry at number 52 in our top 100 as the season started because he didn't prove that much at that point. Switch hitter with plus-plus speed, plus-plus raw power, and a rocket for an arm. Hit tool is the question. Came in with a 30 present, 45 future. I think we can update that hit tool a little bit closer to 35. Maybe even encroaching on the 40 range. I'll say 35 for now. He does like to swing a lot. But the bat to ball is is pretty impressive for a guy who likes to swing as much as he does. This guy's got all the tools you can ask for and is really tapping into production this year. Could be a top 20, top 25 guy in our update. That's all I'm going to say. Eli De La Cruz
2: is second in all of high A in home runs. Eli De La Cruz leads all of high A in slugging percentage and OPS. De La Cruz has the fourth most hits in all of high A. Eli De La Cruz has the most total bases in all of high A, and he is top 10 in stolen bases in all of high A. He does it's everything. Like he, does, he homered from both sides of the plate in the same game this past weekend with Dayton. Yeah. And he's hitting 301
1: at last check. I mean, <laughs> that's the craziest part is, is the strikeout rate continues to dwindle. As, you know if you go back to to June first, twenty eight percent strikeout rate, ten percent walk rate. So the production is unrelenting, and now we're seeing him mature almost before our eyes as a hitter. Twenty homers, twenty eight bags. This guy is we we're talking about like candidates for who could be that 40, 40 guy. The next 40, 40 guy. Throw Ellie to do a cruise. And yeah, in you the have here, especially in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I think the 40 bags might be tough, but he's 28 for 32 this year. This isn't a volume stolen base guy. This is a guy who's been incredibly effective and efficient with his stolen bases, walking more, striking out less. I think he's not too far away from a double A call up. As you said, he's kind of pacing, you know, high A in almost every statistic. This guy is going to be one of the best prospects in baseball. He's a candidate in the next two years to be the number one overall prospect in baseball with his skill set. It's reminiscent of O'Neal Cruz, but I think a little bit more well-rounded, which is crazy to say, and staying power at shortstop.
2: He and O'Neal are road to the show creative players, and you're playing on beginner level. Correct. And the slash line and the power numbers for Ellie De La Cruz, just the accumulations. Like these are road to the show on beginner level. Yep. So it'll be really interesting to see how the Reds go about Ellie De La Cruz. Is is he in Double A Chattanooga at any point this year, or does he spend the entire year in High A?
1: I think he might get the bump to Double soon. I hope so. Cause I think he's ready. A guy who's already in double might get the bump to triple soon. And we just talked about him in the previous episode with Jimmy Heron, his teammate in double a Hartford, Ezekiel Tovar of the Colorado Rockies organization. You see the number two next to Tovar. That's because we just did the Rocky system have not done the mid season update. So he's a number two prospect in the Rocky system set to be a top 50 prospect in baseball. Maybe even better than that. Elite, elite defense. I have 60 present 70 future on the glove. But how about the bat? I mean, this was a guy that kind of looked more to be like a glove first prospect uh, in in a lot of regards. And all of a sudden now looks like a potential five tool prospect with what he is doing in double A as one of the youngest players at the level. uh, Again, you know, 20 years old, 318, 386, 545 slash line, 22 percent K rate, 13 homers, 17 bags and elite, elite defense. This guy's a freak man, and he's the future of, of the shortstop position for the Rockies. My dark horse for rookie of the year next year. And 15 doubles.
2: That's the only thing I want to add. 15 doubles, too. So 15 doubles, 13 homers, 17 stolen bases, 932 OPS. He's hitting 318. Three.
1: And he's one of the best defensive shortstops in, in minor league baseball. We talked about him on the Rockies breakdown. So check out that system rundown for time purposes. We'll move on to Miguel Vargas, who came in this season at 41 on our top 100 list and probably will hover right there. Uh, He's just continued to kind of do what Miguel Vargas does. He's a plus hit tool guy. He's got above average power. It's not really insane exit velos, but it's a really good feel to lift. Natural backspin Hit 23 home runs last year uh, between high A and double A. And now this year, 13 home runs. So the power has gone down a little bit through 82 games, but he's striking out 15% of the time, walking 11% of the time, hitting 293, 377, 494. He's not going to be a superstar, but I'd put a lot of money Jack on this guy being an above average big leaguer for a long time. He's the future. I think at the third base position was the Dodgers minor league hitter of the year last year. I think this is this is a guy that could be up this year, could help the Dodgers very very soon. I don't know if he has much left to prove, and it just just a really well rounded ball player. He could be up right now if if
2: Justin Turner went down. Like the the guy that should be called up is Miguel Vargas. If any of the infielders go down, the guy that should be called up is Miguel Vargas, in my opinion. Um, Vargas, you mean know, eighty two games? He's sitting right around three hundred. He's got an OPS right around eight seventy. He's got 13 homers. He's got 19 doubles. Vargas, it's interesting. I've never seen an age this young on baseball reference, but he played in the Cuban National Series when he was 14 years old. So (laughs) I see his age 14 numbers, eight games uh, in the Cuban National Series. He didn't perform well at all. He hit 14. He was three for 26 as a 14-year-old in the Cuban National Series where he was 13 years younger than the average age of a hitter. That
1: just shows you how this guy was born to hit. He was born. I think he hit. was even playing in that in that series. is insane. The guy was. And the fact that
2: it. he got a hit, but yeah, I mean, 2018 when he shows up, like he, he got to low A ball and he was fine as an 18 year old in low A. Um, and then 2019 he comes on and he's phenomenal. He hit 310 in 2019. COVID pause last year between high A and double he hit 320. He's a born hitter, like you're saying. You have the hit tool at 55 60. You have
1: the raw power at 55 55. I think that makes sense. I think he's just going to do a lot of both. He's he's a guy that, you know, is slightly above average power, but hits so much that he's going to tap into it. I think 275 to 280, 350 with with 20 to 25 pumps is what you can expect here. And and that's a really good baseball player.
2: If there are 300, 400, 500 guys out there, and I think we're going to get to a couple of them in the uh, National League outfield. Miguel Vargas is
1: absolutely a 300, 400, 500 slash line guy. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Let's go to. Maybe another candidate for for top prospects in baseball and yes. in the next year or so. If he doesn't force his way to the big leagues, it's it's Jordan Walker and Jordan Walker. Talk about another guy that's just so young and continues to just uh, outplay his age level or, or outplay his age. He is just mashed at every stop, and now at Double A has not blinked either. Third baseman with. Ridiculous Ridiculous power potential, a way better field to hit than anybody imagined. Does have some defensive questions, but a rocket for an arm, I think, gives him a shot to stay there. Could play corner outfield because he is actually an average runner, but who cares about any of that? We're here to talk about his bat 80 grade future raw power I have on Jordan Walker. And I don't think that's crazy to say, uh, given that he's six, 230 pounds and, and is already putting up some of the best exit velos we've seen uh, in the minor leagues. I'll just tell you what he's doing in double in, in A, you know, right now as a guy who turned 20 a month ago, started the season as a 19 year old. 310, 399, 489 with an 11 percent walk rate, 22 percent K rate, seven home runs, 15 stolen bases. He's an athlete for a big dude. This guy is special, Jack. He's a
2: freak. Um, enjoy like 21 doubles for Jordan Walker, but double A so far this year. What he's doing as a 20 year old in double A is comical. And you mentioned 6'5, 220. Like he's he's built like a major league baseball player already, and he's 20 years old. He is going to be the rare American draftee that is up as a 20 year old or a 21 year old. I really do think. And, and they've been so aggressive with recent guys. They've been so aggressive with Gorman. They've been so aggressive with Liberator. They've been so aggressive with Mason Wynn alongside Walker. Wayne and Walker being in double A is an underdog story and I'm here for it um, because they are they are going with as aggressive promotions as as anybody that we've seen. And we talk about the Padres being the uh, the gold standard of aggressive promotions. The Cardinals are kind of becoming that. And Jordan Walker has not looked phased by any level that he's been at. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's in triple by the end of the year. Hell, I wouldn't balk if he made his major league debut in twenty twenty two.
1: I wouldn't either. I it would have to you know result in some some crazy injuries or something like that. but I mean he he could prove to be ready at, at a certain point if they really needed him. You mentioned Mason Wynn I and mean, what a story he's been as as a guy that was a two-way player focusing more on on the offensive side of things now and has really taken his game to the next level. another dude that you know numbers not as sexy in A, but the fact that as a twenty year old, uh, he has already played his way up to double A as a high school draftee. He's amazing. He made a mockery of high A pitching, hitting 350, 404, 566 at that level. And now tapping into more power in double A, just not quite as much contact yet, but I think he'll get there. Six home runs, eight stolen bases through 39 games. He is a really, really good player who's going to be a very good shortstop with a rocket for an arm. And uh, those two guys are some of the, maybe one of the most exciting prospect duos. Really excited to see both of them in this game, maybe on the left side of the infield together. You know, you can tell that
2: his um, you can almost see the final stages of puberty for Mason Wynn in his stat page, because last year in 37 games at high A, he had two homers. He hit 210 and had 16 stolen bases. So he's the small slider frame guy that steals a lot of bags, but is struggling with bat to ball. Thirty nine games with double A Springfield this year. He's got six homers hitting 250, but with eight stolen bases. So relatively identical sample size. He hasn't stolen as many bases, but he's showing more power and actually hitting for about 40 points higher of a batting average. So it just shows me that he's hitting puberty and he's just another year in a major league weight room. And, and he's he's a five tool potential guy. Uh, well, and and there's so tools. much like If that.
1: pitching is the sixth tool. Then he is a six <laughs> tool guy. Yeah. Get him back as a reliever, too. I would love that. It'd be really fun. Um, yeah. Two other guys real quick in the infield before we wrap up with the outfield. Darren Baker gets the nod. That's cool. Um, you know, the, the connection to his father, um, a guy that good bats to ball skills but probably not belonging in this Futures game. National system is a bit thin. They don't really have any position players to, to, to pitch out there. Uh, but, you know, Baker not really having a great year. Uh, but I think is it's a good bats to ball guy was solid in the Cape, uh, you know, probably not somebody that, that is br- bringing people into the ballpark. Uh, but, you know, Darren Baker is, is Darren Baker and has some history in, in the game as well.
2: Yeah. J.T. Snow pulled him out of the way when when a guy was diving. Um, yeah, he's hitting 272 with a 685 OPS. He's, he's not slugging. He's got one homer in 59 games. I mean, <sighs> I don't know. I like again, I like Darren. Really nice guy. He was in Brewster in 2018 for a couple of games. Um, Got to meet Darren was very nice, but I don't think he's proved that he is uh, worthy of being in the futures game. But obviously the powers that be love seeing that last name. Of course, Uh,
1: Mark Vientos subs in here. Who was it for again? He comes in for Vientos came in for um, VR. VR, because Dave VR is now with the Giants big league team. What a great yeah. story over there. He has been fantastic this season, uh, crushing home runs and and, and bats of ball skills as well. Crushing home runs is Mark Vance's game, and, and after a dreadful start to the year, horrible start, horrible, horrible start has been really, really good as of late. I, one of my favorite power bats in the minors because of the way that he can just miss hit tanks. I mean, this guy will miss under baseballs. It looks like a routine fly out, and it ends up way 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 out of the yard like he's that kind of guy and if we go back to June 1st he has been a much different baseball player A 120 WRC plus you know 500 slugging percentage 30% K rate that's a little bit more of what I think we can expect he needs to limit the swing and miss I'd like to see it closer to the 25 to 28 percent range but, you know, he walks enough now to offset that. The slugging on contact is off the charts. There's a guy that could be a DH candidate for the Mets at some point this year or a trade candidate. Uh, regardless, he could really run into one in this Futures game and, and have that tape measure shot with a big league baseball where it goes 460 and everyone's like, whoa.
2: He can sleepwalk to a 500 slugging. Yeah. And he was worse than sleepwalking at the beginning of the year. So that's why his slugging percentage is at 490 right now. Yeah. I mean, he, was, he was leading... Lost. He was leading triple-A baseball in ground ball rate by such a wide margin. With this type of power, and you mentioned miss-hitting home runs, with this type of pop, the last thing you want to do is put the ball on the ground. And he was putting the ball on the ground all the time. But you're right. Once he figured that out, he's already up to 15 homers. He's already up to a 490 slugging. Last year, across 83 games, he he had a 933 OPS. I think that's what we can expect from him in minor league baseball. And it's only a matter of time. Before he's a New York Met or
1: on another team's major league roster. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, outfield time. Corbin Carroll. I, yes, I love this guy. Another another candidate for that top five, you know, maybe even top three type of ballpark here. Outfield prospect, Arizona Diamondbacks freak of all freaks. What, I was actually like physically distressed when he got hurt last year. Uh, like, because I was just so excited after not having the 2020 season to see what he could do because he has shown us flashes of just being such a well rounded player. Some of the best bat to ball skills, insane off the chart speed, and sneaky power as well. This guy is a gamer's gamer. And what he was doing in double A this year was a joke 313, 430, 643 slash line, 16 homers, 20 bags, 15% walk rate. Really good defense in center field. This is a player that everybody wants at the top of their lineup. and at twenty one years old, he's already in triple A,
2: so Amarillo is the moon. Um, Reno is kind of like the moon, but not near the moon that Amarillo is. So you can take those stats of the grain of salt, but I'm not going to, and I'm just going to look at three thirteen with eleven doubles, eight triples,
1: sixteen homers, and twenty backs. <laughs> um yeah i mean like and that's the thing jack right because like if you look at the grades coming into the year i mean look look at the look at the graphic up here right those that kind of implies that that output that we were expecting and those grades aren't based on where he's playing 65 potential hit tool 55 raw power 50 game power 70 run that you can do it all he's yes he's Kelly de la cruz type production
2: in the outfield it's road (laughs) to the show on rookie mode yes and and it's just amazing to see.
1: What's your favorite thing about Corman Carroll?
2: Uh, the fact that he made his AAA debut on Sunday, hit a bomb and made two diving catches.
1: <laughs> Every time you show up to gamer. the ballpark, you're going to see something amazing. Gamer, gamer, gamer. And and that's that's just what's so amazing about this guy is, is even when he's not hitting, he's going to help you win ballgames. I I think my favorite thing about Corbin Carroll to actually answer your question
2: is he is cut from the same cloth that Alec Thomas is where the floor is just so high. He's going to give you a very solid outfielder that can hit at the top of your lineup with the potential for a lot more. And obviously, Corbin Carroll's potential is a lot higher than Alec Thomas's. But having those two in the outfield where you know you're getting immediate production and you can dream on more in the coming years, like not so distant future. I, I think that's the that's the most exciting part about Cor- Corbin Carroll.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's cut from the same cloth as Alec Thomas with better tools. Better tools. Uh, sign me up for that every single day of the week because you know we love Alec Thomas over here. Uh, a guy that is a friend of the show uh, that yes. we had on the podcast uh, entered the season as a 24th overall prospect uh, in the San Diego Padres organization is Robert Hassel. Sorry, 24th ranked prospect in baseball, Robert Hassel of the San Diego Padres organization. Number eight overall pick in 2020. And this guy has lived up to the expectations and then some. Talk about another player who can do a little bit of everything. I think what's really been impressive is his ability to stick in center. Uh, the power is starting to tick up a little bit for him. We know the bat to ball is there. We talked about all those things on the podcast. You see the fifty five hit. I think we could probably push that towards sixty future value on the hit tool. Raw power. I, I want to see him fill out a little bit more. Uh, but you know that that'll come. A plus runner. An above-average defender. He's going to stick in center with a lefty bat with power and a really good field to hit. It's a good player. I get up to
2: Fort Wayne to see Bobby Barrels, and he's day-to-day with general soreness. Oh, I don't see him. Oh, that's so wrong. Granted, I, I saw him for three weeks at the end of last year, and I was so impressed. And obviously, having that conversation with him, I was so impressed. I left it. I think we were most impressed by the recall. That he had his ability to just go back in his mental Rolodex and go grabbing at bat. If you bring it up and tell you exactly what he was thinking at any moment. This is a guy that presents himself like this, you know, chill down to earth, go with the flow guy. And obviously he is chill down to earth, go with the flow. But he's got that killer. And I, I think it was very clear with his answers that. He's got that killer in him. Um, and we like our stars with some serious killer in that. Oh, yeah. I think the, the greatest players have some killer in him. And his ability to stay within himself, and even when he gets out of himself, to overcompensate the other way and still put quality contact on a ball is so impressive. His ability to maneuver his body at this stage... Oh. And I don't know how it changes as he fills out, but just watching him manipulate his swing a little bit, if he's out in front of a curveball, he can still drive it about 350 feet. It's athleticism. It's It's athleticism. It's just athleticism. His ability to adjust on the fly. It feels like he's playing wiffle ball at times, and he's the best wiffle ball player.
1: I mean, he'll lose. He'll be out front, you know, on his front foot, but he's still able to keep his hands back and keep enough leverage to, to still shoot a ball the other way with authority i mean we've seen him hit backside homers he's only going to tap into more power too as he you know continues to iron that out and and just tap into more strength there this guy could be a 20 to 25 homer maybe even 30 with 20 bags and really good overall you know just contact rates on base percentage and good defense and center
2: what i hope is he continues to fill out but maintains that athleticism because sometimes we see those guys fill out and lose some of that natural athleticism that got them there in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think
1: think he he seemed very, we talked about it. He seemed very aware of that and wanting to maintain that balance, which is awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Another guy, uh, number two next to his name, because he's number two in the Cubs system now, but was not in the top 100 going into the year. will be a top 100 guy in the midseason update. And then some Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, Chicago Cubs organization, what a year Pete Crow Armstrong has had now that he is healthy, similar to Corbin Carroll, played like six games or less than that, and then went down with an injury, but now fully healthy and showing these a lot more than the the fourth outfielder that Mets fans made him out to be to try to justify that two-month Javier Baez swap. Uh, He's now just getting going in high A after getting the bump up there. But what he did in, in low A was, was comical. We saw him tap into more power than I think anybody thought he had. Seven homers in 38 games. Hit 354, 443 on base. Now in high A, already launched three homers. Hitting for more average now. Starting to get on base more. This is an elite defensive center fielder. I mean, we talked about one of the plays he made recently. He is gold glove caliber and center with great speed. Kind of cut from a similar cloth as Corbin Carroll. Uh, Corbin, just a more gifted all around hitter. That's not a sled of Pete Crow Armstrong. He's a darn gifted hitter. I'm waiting for the time where we move off of Javier Baez
2: when referring to Pete Crow Armstrong. You know what I mean? Like when we can bring up PCA without talking about Baez, because it it took a while for us to talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. without mentioning James Shields. Right. Because, you know, you want to talk about that fleecing, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, we can talk about the Baez fleecing. And I think that Cubs fans are still doing it, saying like, "Ha ha! This is what we got for two months of Baez, who didn't even resign with you." And the Mets are continuing to try and, you know, slander him and be like, "Yeah, you know, like it, it was worth it." Like Baez, you know, he, that's trade he, toxicity. It, it's trade toxicity. Um, Pete Crow Armstrong will be a Gold Glover within his first three years in professional baseball, much that's like toxic. Luis Robert, much like Trent Grisham. He immediately becomes. One of the three or four best defensive center fielders in all of professional baseball when he's
1: up. Look at the transition Michael Harris has made. I think similar to that. Yes, exactly. Michael Harris could
2: win the Gold Glove in center field this year. Yeah. that's the type of defender that we're looking at with Pete Crow Armstrong, where he covers everything. If he can hit 280 and slug 390 or above, eh,
1: no, let's go 400. You think he can slug 400? I think he can slug 400. Absolutely. I, I've been floored at the impact this year. He's hitting the ball hard and lifting. If if he can slug, if he can hit
2: 280 and slug 400 with Gold Glove caliber defense,
1: yeah, and steal bags. And I mean, this is a really, really good player and your true center fielder that I think needs to come back in the game a little bit more. But also a modern spin on the true center fielder because he's still going to be able to hit 15 or, or so home runs, which. You know, we never saw from the old school, like defense speedster center fielders.
2: I think we're in a really good spot with center fielders in minor league baseball. We just talked about Robert Hassel. We just talked about Corbin Carroll. We just talked about Pete Armstrong. And we're about to talk about a guy who's probably better suited for a corner, but might be in center. Two more guys.
1: Two more guys that could legitimately play center. And then we're going to cut this thing off in an hour and a half, which (laughs) is crazy, which is crazy. But I mean, I'm, I'm having a good time here talking about all these dudes, but. Zach Veen, who could potentially play center field and and I think could stick there because of his ridiculous speed, his long strides, ability to cover a lot of ground and not a lot of time. And we talked about him a lot recently uh, and the Rockies breakdown in the previous episode. So definitely go check that out. We gushed about him for about 20 minutes, so we'll try not to do that as much this time. But I mean, Zach Veen could be one of the best. Outfielders in the game uh, with the power potential he has with the speed that he has. And I think he could stick in center. If you move him to a corner, the arm will stick there and he'll be, he'll end up being a plus defender in a corner or a average defender in center, roughly. Either
2: way, that's quite valuable. We haven't talked about him in a couple of days. He's at 35 for 37 now in the stolen base department.
1: I mean, that's such an underrated part of this game because he's 6'4, 205 pounds. And I mean, plus runner. Long strides, moves quickly. That's why I think we'll stick in center. Ten home runs as well. One forty one WRC plus right now in high A, man. I mean, he's gonna get up to double soon. Strikeout rates continues to dwindle to now twenty one percent, walking in a thirteen percent clip. He's yeah. good. He's really freaking good. I'll take a twenty-one percent K rate from a guy that can impact the ball like this. And I actually think that the K rate drops below twenty percent. I think it will continue to. He's making better swing decisions, he's staying short of the ball, he's getting better left on left. Everything is trending in the right direction for a guy that has as much physical gift as anybody in the minor leagues, still just 20 years old. Jack super, super talented. Yep. I I mean, I am in love. You know, I'm in love. He's my new favorite prospect. Last guy of this long, long movie of an episode, Jackson Chorio, who might be one of the youngest players in this entire game might be the youngest player in this entire game. Milwaukee Brewers organization when we update our midseason uh, top prospect list and our Brewers top prospect list, spoiler alert, Jackson Chorio will sit atop of it. Uh, this kid is insane. He's in low A right now. He just turned 18 years old. He started the season as a 17 year old, got the aggressive assignment because of his ridiculously impressive feel to hit for his age. He swings hard as hell, but under control and has already produced 12 home runs in 57 games, nine stolen bases with plus defensive potential in center field as his routes continue to get better. He's got plus speed. (laughs) This is a five-tool center fielder who's 18 years old in the Brewers' org. $1.8 if I'm not mistaken, out of Venezuela. Jackson Chorio is one of my favorite names to watch in the minor leagues right now, and I think is going to be a huge helium guy on every top 100 list.
2: This is the first time he's played stateside. Usually it's so hard to play stateside. And, and the fact that they didn't even have him at the complex, he was in the Dominican Summer League last year. Then he stayed back, was in the Venezuelan Winter League. He's from Venezuela. He comes over. He obviously goes through spring training. Usually you want your guy stateside at the complex for them to get used to American life. But they were like, you know what? Go out to Carolina, go enjoy low A ball. Like, you know, we're not worried about you. I'm so impressed that they weren't worried about him. And through 57 games, 18 doubles, five triples, 12 homers. (laughs) I mean, with
1: great defense and center. I mean, swing is beautiful, like under control. Another athlete with malleability in the box because of his athleticism. This dude has figured out his swing at 18. He doesn't really need to make many changes. It is wild. See, I just want to see him use the whole field a bit more. That's it.
2: Now, does Chorio's. Emergence force Sal free liquor Joey Weimer out via trade.
1: I don't think it forces, I think it makes it it makes them available. Yeah. I think in the right spot, if the Brewers can go get an impact impact bat, I think the emergence of Chorio makes you a little bit more okay with that. It makes you definitely okay with trading Garrett Mitchell. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So absolutely. and this guy's probably the top, the top prospect in their system. And somebody that you need to like, that's somebody that is going to kind of make his case in that futures game. He'll run into one or something or make a crazy play. And people are going to be like, who is this guy? Google MC is 18 years old. He is going to I- explode, whether it's the card market, whether it's, you know, whatever you want to look at, I think he's going to start exploding everywhere because of his physical gifts. He looks like a ball player. He's built like a ball player. And, and he, he can really swing the bat. I am in love with Jackson Chorio, and I think he's going to be a very, 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 very good prospect and a good player. I can climb through the minors pretty quickly. Uh, Any final thoughts on the National League uh, futures team? I'll keep it short
2: because I know we're already at uh, 90 minutes. Uh, I am very excited to watch the National League, and I'm more
1: excited to talk about the American League. Yes, and we will be more efficient on the American league side of things, but this was a good time. I hope you enjoyed the in-depth breakdowns hour and a half talking national league futures game. Uh, Oh, I forgot. We got to talk about Mike Sosha, Dan Heron, Sean green, and the other coaches for the national league team. Yeah. Mike Sosha, former catcher, um, (laughs) Dan Heron, at i throw 88 on twitter and
2: i think that's about it
1: strategist right? with the arizona Diamondback. okay we will cut this one off here <laughs> we'll talk to you tomorrow about the american league squad in a more efficient manner but i hope you enjoyed uh, all 92 minutes 93 minutes of this episode talk to you tomorrow